welcome to the primary pod, The Maiden Voyage. And this podcast really emanates from uh, the show Primary Source on NECN Monday through Friday on NECN 7 to 8 p.m. It re-airs again at 11 p.m. I'm Brian Shackman. I'm going to be your host every week or just about every week on the primary pod. And this show that's on NECN Primary Source, it is probably 80% focused on the New Hampshire primary. And the rest of its focus is what's going on in Washington in terms of impeachment and the rest of the election process nationally. And we have so much content and we talk to every single candidate. Basically, we've talked to them all at least twice, some more than twice. And so what we're going to bring you in this podcast is really sort of the best elements of the show with a fresh conversation with somebody, whether it be Sue O'Connell, who's a regular on the show, or Allison King, or maybe at some point we'll even have the candidates on themselves for the primary pod. Today we're going to focus on two candidates in particular that we spoke with this week. Cory Booker is one, the New Hampshire senator, of course, running for the Democratic nomination, not getting a lot of traction in the polls right now. Now, and on the opposite side, in that lower tier is Andrew Yang, not a career politician, an entrepreneur who decided to get into this race, even though he's never been elected or even run for another office. And his story is a little bit different than Cory Booker, because right now Yang has money and he has momentum. Now, we're going to start with Cory Booker. Uh, when I met with him at a bagel shop in Peterborough, New Hampshire, uh, and I'll talk about what kind of gentleman he is and what kind of person I find him to be. But one of my first questions I asked him was why he sees it as okay that right now he's this far behind. Well, I, first of all, I say thank God I'm not leading in the polls because never in our lifetime has someone who's been leading in the polls in the Democratic Party this far out ever gone on to be president. Think about it, from Carter to Bill Clinton to uh, Barack Obama, all of them were considered long shots at this point. Bill Clinton was at polling at 3-4%, Jimmy Carter at 1%, but then he comes here and wins in New Hampshire. So we are building the grassroots team. We lead every other candidate in New Hampshire in endorsements from state reps, state legislators, local leaders, and activists. So I'm confident that looking at past presidents who won, young dynamic leaders who are able to unify and excite and energize this country, that we are following in those footsteps, and I'm confident uh, we're not giving up on the Granite State. This is one of the places we're going to fight hardest, and I hope to earn the people's uh, trust and support. Okay, so let's bring in Sue O'Connell, who's with me there this this week on Primary Pod. Sue, first of all, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Listen, we've both interviewed Cory Booker, mm-hmm. and we've talked ad nauseum on the show of how much we kind of we we don't support anybody. No, but he's likable. He's very warm. He's smart. He's open. He's you know I hate to go into these these generalizations about candidates, but you can imagine having dinner with him and having an enjoyable time, or he's a hanging good, out at the soccer yeah. field watching your kids play. He's yeah. just very very relatable. He's this six foot four black man who talks about love all the time. <laughs> he went to Stanford. He's obviously brilliant. He's committed his whole adult life he's to public nerdy. service. He's nerdy. He's got a celebrity girlfriend. I mean, he, he, he checks all the boxes. Yeah, except the couple boxes he doesn't check are the ones that people write the checks for, <laughs> and then the one with the chads where they punch, well, they don't really do that, <laughs> in terms of voting. And, and you know, we've talked maybe too much on the show about why he's not uh, generating uh, enough momentum, but now I want to sort of move that forward because I think he thinks he would be a great president. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he thinks right now that he's going to be, but maybe he is. Maybe if we had a whiskey with him late at night, he would admit that maybe it's not going to work out. Maybe it's not my time. I want to talk about two things with you. 
why do you think it's not his time? And then why is he going to push forward? And I'll, I'll start with the first one, and I'll give you my take after. And it, it, why isn't it his time? I don't think that he has been consistent as a candidate. And I don't think that he is. What does that mean? Well, that means like when we were up in New Hampshire at the New Hampshire State Democratic Convention that happened yeah. uh, last month, he gave what many people in the audience said was a barn burner speech. People left that auditorium saying, my gosh, Cory Booker, he's my number two choice. He's my number two choice. But then, you know, nothing happens afterwards, and he's not able to capitalize on that and actually tell the story that he has to hit the issues that he has. I actually think he's one of the moderates in this race as a Democrat, but he's unable to kind of connect and, 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 and communicate that. As you said, he's this guy who talks about love and he's talking about his, his personal story. He lives in the project so that he can stay connected to his constituents. But at the same time, that doesn't match the box that people want to put can, him in. Can I just say, there's an elephant in the room, and I'm not so sure, you know, as a white male, I can talk about it, but I intellectually, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's something I'm not totally comfortable necessarily saying on television, but maybe I should be. He's a, an African-American senator uh, with an incredible intellect and a lot of talent, and maybe the shadow of Barack Obama, or maybe people want something different than what they had for eight years, even though he is different. But, but I mean, maybe race is a factor in that sense. Not that people are racist against a Cory Booker candidacy, but that maybe, well, maybe now we want to have a woman because we had an African-American, or maybe now we want a gay man because we had uh, an African-American and we almost had a female. I don't know, but do you think that race, whatever the factor, is a factor? I, I think that the shadow of Barack Obama is long over this entire field, right? We, we've been joking. But does it negatively affect Cory Booker? I think it negatively, negatively impacts all of the candidates. And again, I think Cory Booker's challenge is that he, he is unable to come up with a consistent, strong narrative about who he is to appeal really? to voters. I really, I mean, can, you, you think you know who he is because you're you're judging him based on whatever whatever lens you're looking at him from. But again, I think he's one of the more moderate. I think he's closer to Klobuchar than he is to Biden. Interesting. But, but that's not how people, and I think that the voters are very good at picking up on that. I know we're, we're not planning on talking about uh, Senator Kamala Harris today, but she's got a, a similar challenge where when she acts like the prosecutor that she is, when she acts like the district that's attorney. That's a winning approach. It's a winning approach because because that's who she is. But right. when she's softer, you know, when she tries to, you know, buff those edges a little bit for whatever reasons, it doesn't seem as authentic. And that's not to say that she's being inauthentic. It's just that she's not being it's, her true it, voice. Yeah. It's, if I said that, I'd, I'd be labeled sexist, by the way. Um, well, you know. In terms of staying Shoot. in the race, <laughs> Only stop <kidding>. it. <laughs> um, is he just sort of like a VP guy now? I, I think he is. I think he's a VP guy. I Do you think, think he'd be a good pick? I think he'd be a great pick. I mean, it, obviously, depending on who the nominee is and what, what it is that they're looking. I would be shocked if the nominee for the Democrats doesn't pick from this field because we've got, you know, I can't never remember who Hillary Clinton picked. Do you remember who Tim it was? Tim There you go. I can never remember who Tim Kaine is. Right. So I think that it should be somebody from this field because they've been vetted and they look good and they've they've got yeah. some policy that's been put forward. I would just say that I think he, the only chance he has at being VP is if the uh, nominee is a female. 
I don't think you can have an all male ticket on, on on the Democratic side. I could side. see a Biden Booker. I I don't see it, yeah. and I, I think that if if it's Biden, you have to have a woman. And I'm just this is us talking on the yep, podcast. Yep, yep. If I was going to be straight calculated, I don't see that happening. So I think his his uh, his window is narrow for that. Although he would be great, but I do think you need a woman on this ticket. You know, people have said about Senator Cory Booker for years that his star is rising, and someone, not me, recently said, "Well, wait." <laughs> When is it going to get there? You know, how long are we going to wait for Cory Booker's star to rise? But, I, you know, I think that there's another chance for him if this doesn't pan out to run for president again. There's also if a Democrat gets elected, there's a lot of opportunity for yeah. people on this. Well, ticket. a lot of people say like a Pete Buttigieg, he, if the assumption is that uh, the possibility that Trump, Donald Trump gets a second term, that this is just a dry run for, mm-hmm. for, for that race in 2024. And Booker could be one of those types where there's several people in this race who you know will not run in 2024, most notably Biden and Sanders, I can't imagine, would Remember run Remember Richard again. Nixon lost, and then he won. Yeah, he lost a, 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 a lot before yep. he won, actually. And so did Abraham Lincoln. So it, it cuts both ways in terms of that. Now I want to talk about Andrew Yang because uh, people make fun of me because – you have the same affection for Yang that I have for Booker. Well, no, I just, you know, I, I get, I <laughs> Here get, we are talking I get, about our crushes. I get along with Andrew Yang. I support no candidate. And by the way, you're watching, you're listening to the primary pod. Of course, Brian Shackman and Sue O'Connell. We are regulars on the NECN New England cable news show, Primary Source, where we cover politics all the time with a fundamental focus on the New Hampshire primary. We give you content every night that you will not get anywhere, even on the, the cable networks. Because if, if they show a tweet from somebody, uh, they, show a tweet and then we can actually show a tweet narrative <laughs> you know we can show like five tweets and tell you a whole story and talk about it yeah and so that's what we do that nobody else does and we love the show and we want you to check it out on NECN at seven o'clock Monday through Friday but Andrew Yang yeah I mean listen he's a similar age to me he's a couple years younger we did actually and has we didn't actually go I think to you're school we, thank you yeah. well he might disagree with that he's better at hoops <laughs> he he went to the same high school I did although we didn't know each other and I don't even think we were there at the same time because he went there for two years and I mm-hmm. went there I went to Phillips Exeter Academy in New Hampshire. And so I think that there is a little connection and it enables me to get the interview. So I think that that's where it comes from. And he's also completely uh, atypical and Mm non-traditional in the sense that he was an entrepreneur, tried to to help save the world through sort of like entrepreneurship with a heart. And then he just decided to run for president. And I think it's a fascinating story because he was – going nowhere nobody heard of him and now all of a sudden he's on the debate stage and people are responding to him and people are talking you know about his ideas and the the thing i want to talk about today and we only have about a couple minutes left is this particular idea about our data and the value of it when i when i interviewed him here's what he had to say a study just came out that said that our data is now worth more than oil we're talking about tens of billions of value that could translate into hundreds of billions over time and so we have to ask ourselves right now, how much of that value are we seeing? Right now we're seeing zero or next to nothing, even as our data gets sold and resold over and over again. How do you do that though? How would you do that? Well, the, here's the great thing. All we have to do is put the onus on these technology companies and say, hey, we've got some news for you. We know you're profiting to the tune of billions of dollars from our data. Our data is now ours and here's what you have to do. You have to tell us what you're doing with our data. You have to let us know if you're getting any value from it. You have to share the value with us. You have to let us control our preferences and turn it off if we want. And we put the onus on the technology companies to actually start documenting all of the transactions that are happening with our information. 
right now individual Americans are completely outgunned by these trillion dollar tech companies. It's up for the government to balance that out and put the pressure on these tech companies to come clean. So this whole concept, Sue, of your data, which is taken from us by Facebook, by Apple, by Amazon, by Twitter, by Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, and they use that to target advertising at us. And we've seen it all the time. I feel like I think about <laughs> Dairy Queen and then it shows up on my it's feed. Scary. It's it is scary. absolutely frightening. But the fact that, that, that you could maybe, that, that we should own it. Mm -hmm. And I, I have never thought about it as an intellectual concept before he brought it up to me or he brought it up as a proposal. And he intimated that you could maybe even pay for the universal basic income with it. I don't think the numbers quite match up. I think you'd have to still have a s significant funding gap. But if it's possible, do you think you should own your data? Yeah, no, I absolutely do. I, I mean, I, I always joke that if I had a time machine and could go back to 1992, the first thing I would do would be get a lot of cat videos. I'd just stock up on cat videos. So when YouTube is invented i could put my did cat you, videos did you ever there? see um uh hot tub time machine <laughs> yes that's so lugal <laughs> that's what you're talking, <laughs> that's about. What I'm talking about you know and then i would make um i wouldn't have the internet be free i'd actually have a business model where you would get it from either subscriptions or paid advertising but um i i think the thing that's so appealing about andrew yang is that he is saying the things that in 15 years we're going to look back on and say he was absolutely right. He's he's absolutely right about the fourth industrial revolution. Right. He's right about um, uh, I, uh, um, um, IA, right? Is that what, that what we're calling it? What, in terms artificial of, intelligence, AI. Yeah. He's right about artificial intelligence and how it's a, it's a threat to jobs. Uh, and I think he's really living in the future. Now, that's a problem because while people on the campaign trail, the other candidates are talking th about things that people can relate to, like your medical insurance, or are talking about taxes, he's talking about these existential things that are going to be real but aren't okay, real yet. Okay, so let me just interrupt for a second because I, I think that you know people who don't know, they talk about the fourth industrial revolution. Everyone says, oh, we've had computers a long time. It's not about computers. It, it is about AI. It's about automation. It's about going to a mm -hmm. store and using a kiosk instead of interacting with a person. It's about self-driving trucks when there's over a million truck drivers who could be displaced from work and what happens in that person when they don't have a job and don't have skills for anything else. So that is what he talks about and relates to that. I want to drill down, Sue, specifically on this data thing mm -hmm. because if, if I think – you're right in the sense that some of these are sort of vague and sort of amorphous big topics. But if I, someone said to me, you know what, you're online 16 hours a week and, you know, advertisers spend X to try to target you, you, 25% of that should come to your pocket. Mm -hmm. And we're going to come up with a taxation system that's going to tax Google, it's going to tax Amazon, it's going to tax Apple for how much they use. I don't know if they can come up with the algorithm or whatever. And I think people will understand that. And then they'll be like, you can either pocket that tax or you can put it toward this or put it toward that. I actually think this is something that technology-wise, if we could make it actionable, that people will be like, Amazon shouldn't own my stuff. Right, but here's the problem. I agree with you, and I agree with the and idea. And I'm not even talking about electing him. I'm just saying, like, that's an issue here's that I problem. can access. Right, so we work in the news business, and we've been covering stories about how Russia has been co-opting people's data, right? Sure. They've been, you know, taking your Facebook p pictures and making bots on Twitter and totally in all of our business and mm -hmm. we don't know about it. And then an app comes out that we can take our picture, right? And see what we're going to look like when we're 40 years older than now. And then everybody, and everybody does, it. does it. 
and it's an app that's owned by Russians. And when you do it, you sign away an enormous amount of your privacy that's on your phone. So what's your point? My point is that I'm not sure that people are really tuned in to how important this is. And that's why it's so important. He's in the campaign and he's talking about these things. But, you know, this is this is something we should be doing. But the Americans aren't going to care about it. I don't know. I think if somebody I, said, and I agree, we if should. somebody said to me, if you use the internet, you deserve a tax break or a check, mm-hmm. and without having to do a flipping thing, mm-hmm. people will be like, "Yeah, I'm for that." But meanwhile, we've got Zuckerberg sitting in Washington D.C., you know, arguing about why it's okay for him to run face, fake political ads, you know, just because he's not in charge, he's not the gatekeeper. So if we can't trust Facebook. Well, that's the, the point, though. The, but we can't trust them, so we need to make sure that what, we don't know what they use our data for. So my point is that this is an idea I hadn't thought about. And we, if we don't know what they use our data for, then we should be compensated for mm-hmm. whatever they do with our data. So, and, and this one, you know, I mean, I understand your point on the macro that a lot of his ideas won't translate maybe in Main Street America. But you know what? He's gotten a lot of people from, from you know, he gets a lot of Trump voters. No, I agree. He gets yep. a lot of independents uh, because of some of these issues. But this one particular issue has not been talked about mm-hmm. and that's why we want to use things like the this podcast to bring to light that he basically says you should own your data and if they're going to use it to target advertise or to, to to profit off it then you deserve a piece of that profit you know why i like him because he's always trying to pay me he wants to give he you wants money. He wants to give me money. Yeah. And, and I like that. Yeah. And I think that's what the sentiment of a lot of his supporters are. The last thing I want to say about Andrew Yang that I found refreshing is that uh, his supporters are so passionate. Mm-hmm. I've been to three events. Every time I post a video with with him and me, it gets hit more than anything that I do. I mean, you talk about cat videos. Like, mm-hmm. that's my news cat, cat video. video. <laughs> uh, and so and, – and they are engaged. And, and my curiosity is whether it translates into actual votes because youthful energy doesn't always translate into votes. Um, but, but the good news is if President Trump could be elected, anyone can be elected. And that's going to be our final thought from <laughs> Sue O'Connell. So listen, Cory Booker and Andrew Yang, two examples of people we talked to this week. They're also on the show was Pete Buttigieg and other candidates. And every week we talk to as many as we can because we focus on New Hampshire and they're all going to be here a ton until the middle of February when we have the first in the nation primary right after, I think it's uh, seven or ten days after the Iowa caucus. So every week we're going to bring you some insights. We might go a little bit off the reservation with certain topics and it won't always be Sue. Sometimes it'd be Allison King, maybe a candidate, maybe somebody in the newsroom. We don't know. But this is the first edition of the primary pod Check us out, Sue and myself, Brian Shackman, on Primary Source, Monday through Friday, 7 to 8 p.m., and we will see you next time on the Primary Pod.